are Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, folks, joining me for a special crossover episode this afternoon is none other than Jay Forster from Lockdown Blue Jackets. Jay, it's been quite a while. I know our teams were supposed to have a game going on here tonight. Uh, unfortunately, of course, that has been postponed to a later date, but uh, we're going to break down a bunch of good stuff on the show here today. And thank you for still taking the time to join me. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. Always, It's always fun. Uh, it's been weird. I feel like we we talked a lot last season obviously because the blue jackets and the blackhawks played each other about a million times but <laughs> I, I kept being like oh i'm sure i'm sure we play the black Jack, the the black jacks wow the blackhawks <laughs> soon uh it's it's later it's fine um i'm sure we play the the blackhawks soon and then i looked at the schedule and was like oh we play them in like three days and then obviously covid was like actually no, you don't. So no, it was tough. And yes, it has been weird. I agree as well. I, I kind of had a similar situation with uh, Armando Velez of Lockdown Panthers the other day. I hadn't spoken with him since the those those uh, the Blackhawks and Panthers obviously were and Blue Jackets were all in the same division last year. And I talked to you. I talked to him like you know six or seven times throughout the yeah. season. And here we are now, almost into 2022, and I feel like I haven't spoken to you all in forever. So. Uh, again, thank you for taking the time to join me today. And for all those listening, we have a pretty fun episode on tap. We're going to talk about both the both our teams, the Chicago Blackhawks and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, we're also going to discuss the COVID situation on both sides. And the fun part to end this episode, we're going to talk about the swap, uh, the swap that these two teams made over the offseason, which was obviously Seth Jones coming to Chicago and Adam Boquist plus a couple of picks going to Columbus. So should be a lot of fun, Jay. Um, but, but first things first, I got to ask you, I mean, Columbus, I, I don't think probably even you yourself expected them to be 14 to 13 and one here through their opening 28 games uh, after kind of the projection. I think people thought of this team was heading. How have they been able to do it? How, how have they been able to stay right of right in the thick of things out East? Yeah, it's been it's been such a weird season and I, I have kind of, I've always said, you know, all through the off season and through the beginning of the season, I talked about, okay, the blue jackets are probably going to be bad. I think they're going to be as bad as everyone says, but I don't expect them to be competitive this season. And then um, they started the season seven and three. So they've kind of fallen off a little bit recently. I think they've lost like six of their last eight games or something. Uh, It's been so long since they've played. I no longer remember. Um, so they're kind of they're dropping off a little bit, but yeah, it's been and every, I think this this season, this start has surprised everyone, uh, including you know the coach, the players, the people who cover them. Uh, but I think it's it, it's tough to say like the, to look at what's been uh, like the keys for their success. I think, and I think it's it's probably down to a handful of things. The goaltending was very good. To, to start the season, Elvis Malikens was lights out for the first kind of 10 games. He's been ordinary recently, so hopefully he can kind of get back up. Uh, we've been scoring kind of by committee. I think everyone's been getting involved. Uh, and then I think it's just, you know, uh, uh, the players look like they're having fun. They, they look like they're a team. Uh, I think Brad Larson has done a really, really good job because that was, I think, the biggest question mark coming into this season 
was not the new players, was not, you know, how is uh, Elvis Mosleykin's going to respond to, you know, this massively traumatic offseason that he had. But how is Brad Larson going to coach a group of very young players who haven't played with each other a ton? And apparently the answer is just kind of let them let them figure it out. And he's done he's done a really good job. They look they look good out there. They look like a, a team that's played together for a lot longer than they have. Yeah, I was actually just about to ask you about Brad Larson as well. Obviously, uh, the John Tortorella situation had numerous ups and downs throughout his tenure there in Columbus. Um, but it's good good to hear that, you know, Larson's jumped in there and, and really has kind of helped steer this young team into a, a new direction here. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to ask too, what do you think, at least in your opinion, um, has been the biggest difference between Larson and, and Tortorella, if there's anything that you've noticed in particular? Uh, yeah, and I think and we've talked about this before, you know, I was a big fan of Tortorella in Columbus. I think he did a lot of good with this team. I think he put some respect on this team's name around the league. Also, we won our first playoff series under him. Uh, there were a lot of aspects of his coaching style that I did not really uh, appreciate or like gel with. Uh, but the main one for me, the thing with Tortorella is if a player makes a mistake, they're done for the night. Generally, Larson has not had that approach. Um, and so, you know, we we see a lot of mistakes. This is not a perfect team. They are not playing very good hockey uh, all of the time. You know, they've had some absolutely awful games. But the difference for me with Larson has been he's letting the guys play through it. He's letting them make up for their mistakes. You know, if they they make a mistake, they go out there and they fix it the next shift. They don't sit on the bench and like stew over it and think about what they've done. Uh, and I actually think that's uh, a big reason why the power play has been a lot better than than expected because I think the last time I checked the power play was about 10th in the league ninth or 10th in the league which for us is basically like the equivalent of winning the Stanley Cup our power play has been <laughs> awful for literally years I think 2016 was the last time the power play was good and I couldn't figure out what the issue with the power play was and then I watched it this season and it just it seems to be uh this weird confidence and I think it's because the players know that they can make mistakes they can take chances I think the especially towards the end of John Tortorella's tenure with the team there was kind of this um this paralysis almost of not wanting to take chances in case it goes wrong because then if it goes wrong they'll get benched and then you know it's this this domino effect but the players are playing like they know they're allowed to make mistakes and when you know that you're allowed to make a mistake, I think it makes you more confident and you're less likely to actually make the mistake, I think. And so the, the, there's a lot more chances being taken. It's a much more of a, a high risk, high reward team than it was with Tortorella. And I think that's a big, a big thing that, you know, initially I looked at for the power play and actually it's kind of the entire game. Is, is kind of like that. Every player looks like they're playing with a little bit more confidence and, you know, confidence in themselves and also confidence in the coach not to immediately bench them if they make the wrong decision, they give the puck away, they, you know, the puck deflects in off their stick instead of, uh, you know, blocking the shot or whatever. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing for me with Brad Larson is letting the players make mistakes and, not punishing them for it immediately. Honestly, that's kind of, in my opinion, at least the perfect mindset to have around a young team. Listen, we're going to exactly. make mistakes, but we're going to learn in a couple of years. 
we're going to learn from those mistakes. That that's, I think kind of the forgotten part of a rebuilding team. Obviously, you know, you, you don't expect a team to win very much, but you can't jump on players too much for their mistakes because they have to learn those things. Not everything's just going to be handed to you in the national hockey league. Not everyone's Connor McDavid just walks in and is the superstar of the league. You know, you have to figure things out for your own. And um, th- those growing pains are just kind of part of the process in my opinion. So it's kind of nice to hear that Larson has um, allowed, especially a young team to kind of be a little bit more free and a little bit more relaxed. It sounds like on the ice rather than gripping their stick, worrying about making a mistake. And, and that seems to honestly, um, or possibly, have helped out the offense. It looks like a little bit, because one thing I noticed when I was doing some research on Columbus, they're 11th in the league in goals per game right now. And I was like, all right, let me go look at some of uh, who's leading the team in goals assists. Who's doing what over here? I noticed they have 14 players already in double figures in terms of points in comparison, the Chicago Blackhawks have seven. So it's, uh, it's, it seems like the wealth has been spreaded around here so far for Columbus's offense. And those depth pieces have really done a good job uh, of, of helping out the top lines. And that's really been able to lead this team to some more victories. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of always been Columbus's thing. I think people look at Columbus and they're like, oh, they haven't got a star player on their team. You know, for, for the longest time, the closest thing we had to star players were, you know, we had Artemi Panarin for about five minutes. Okay. <laughs> Legit bona fide star. Uh, we had Cam Atkinson, who scored 42 goals a couple of seasons ago. You know, people looked at him. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois was kind of the closest thing we had to this star sentiment that we've kind of been looking for uh, for years now. And then, obviously, they're all gone. And Patrick Laine is currently out with an injury, uh, although he had a really good start to the season. Uh, I don't know. I think he'll be back soon. He wants to play. But I don't know that the medical staff want him to play yet, which seems to kind of be how it goes for, for hockey players. Um, but like, it's always kind of been this way of the Blue Jackets score by committee. We don't have a star player. Everyone kind of gets it done. Uh, so I think Boone Jenner has 11 goals. Uh, Alexander Texier and Oliver Bjorkstrand both have nine goals that's not a lot in when you know you look at okay 11 goals in 28 games is not a lot but then you know I would be interested to look at the top five goal scorers on each team and see who has the most goals total because I feel like a lot of times people look and oh well their leading goal scorer only has 11 goals and you know Leon Dreisaitl has what 28 or 32 goals in, in... Too many to count at this point. Yeah, too many. More goals than, like, some teams have total, you know? So <laughs> I think a lot of people look at that and think, oh, well, Columbus is has no offense because their top lead, their leader goal scorer only has X amount of goals. But, like you say, was it 14 of our players have a goal? Four, 14 think, of your players have double-digit points. So I'll look at how double many Double-digit points, there you go, yeah. And so I think when you, when you look at it, I think everyone has... Uh, at least one point except a handful of guys that have only played a few games uh, up to and including Elvis Mosleykins who got his first career assist this season you know so even the goalies are chipping in I think that's yeah like you say it is it's it's really a case of the depth players are doing the doing the job especially while line A is out you know we had to get offense from somewhere I think that's massively been helped by the addition of Jake Voracek who I believe has, I want to say 21 points this season. I think 19 of those, 22, so close. Yeah, I got it pulled up right in front of me. By the way, it was 20 players have scored a goal for the Blue Jackets this year. 20. Yeah, like that's that's kind of the, the Blue Jackets team mentality. Um, 
Jake Varacek has, I believe, if it's 22 points, I believe 19 or 20 of those are primary assists. I mean, that's his bread and butter always has. Exactly. You know, like when we, when we picked him up, I thought, okay, this could be, he could be a difference maker on this team. And so far he's doing exactly what we picked him up for. He's basically just handing the puck to people and they're putting it in. It's great. Um, so I think he's a big reason that the the Blue Jackets have been doing so well on offense is that we finally have that, you know, elite playmaker passer that we've needed. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this conversation with Jay Forster from Lockdown Blue Jackets will continue in just a moment. But first, I need to talk to you all about Built Bar, which is the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. And if yours is about getting fit or even getting healthier and eating healthier, then make sure that you include Built Bar in your plan. Because right now, you can get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. In so many flavors, you'll have a hard time choosing. Will you have coconut almond or mint brownie raspberry or double chocolate cookies and cream or peanut butter brownie either way you choose built bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it unlike other protein bars that can be chalky or waxy or (laughs) taste like a chemical spill and even if you're not a huge fan of working out you can at least eat something that's good for you and tastes good at the same time that way when you enjoy a delicious built bar you can almost count it as a workout and for a limited time offer right now, go to BuiltBar.com, use the exclusive promo code LOCKED15, that's one word, LOCKED, in all caps, followed by the number 15 to get 15% off your order. That's BuiltBar.com with the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next Built Bar order. Well, yeah, definitely seems like it's making an impact on the offense power plays role in Columbus is nearly in the top 10 in, in goals per game. The Blackhawks, on the other hand, that is where they struggle mightily. This Blackhawks offense is downright terrible, but I would have been interested to see how this matchup would have gone, Jay, because I noticed Columbus 25th in the NHL in goals against. Do you, do you think that's more so um, because of their defensive struggles or has the goaltending kind of um, falling back down to earth. What do you think it is in your opinion, or is it a little bit of both? I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think it's more the defense than the goaltending. Um, I do think that, yeah, okay. Elvis Muzikins especially has kind of been very, like I said at the beginning, ordinary so far. Um, whereas, you know, we really need a guy like Elvis to be that all-star goalie that, you know, we've seen flashes of in the past. Uh, he's our future start like franchise starting goalie got a massive extension this off season. I think, you know, Jonas Kopsala has a foot out the door already. He's been very good this season, but he's also missed some time to injury. Um, I would like the goaltending to be a little bit better, but yeah. And I think it goes back to the fact that it's a young team and especially like the team is so young on defense. Uh, so for, I think our oldest defenseman is Vladislav Gavrikov, who is like 26 uh, you know, so we've got Wierenski, who's 25, I think, uh, Jake Bean, 21, uh, or 23, excuse me, out of Boquist is 21. Like it's the defense is very, very young and they're going to make mistakes. And that's kind of what's been, what's been happening. And it's been a, a, a weird shift because the blue jackets, I feel like have always been known as a defense heavy team but they couldn't score goals for the life of them. And that's kind of flipped a little bit this season. And it's making for some really fun hockey. 
I was about to say, which way would you rather have it? <laughs> I mean, I, like as a goalie myself, I would prefer it to be a little bit less high scoring. Um, but the and, that, and that's been the, the, the thing about the Blue Jackets this season, as well as I was actually just talking about this um, on a different podcast, that the Blue Jackets are not playing perfect hockey. Sometimes they're not playing good hockey. Usually they're playing fun hockey. And that's kind of... I don't mind losing if it's also fun to watch, you know, especially with this, if this is a young team. If it's a, you know, like, if they're getting 11 shots a game against Ottawa or whatever and losing, like, that's, I would have a problem with that. But if they're, you know, getting 45 shots against Tampa Bay and losing, like, 5-4 or whatever, like, it sucks, but I have way less of a problem with that. And so the Blue Jackets have kind of been going with this high event on both ends of the ice. Hockey, which while stressful is also, yeah, like it's, it's pretty fun. And having been on the opposite end of that, you know, the Blue Jackets have spent a long time just hating offense of any kind on both <laughs> both ends of the ice. And I'm sure you can attest to this as the Blackhawks are struggling to score goals at the minute. Like hockey's more fun when there are goals. hundred percent. And it's actually really funny that you brought that up. I was like chuckling to myself because when the Blackhawks had that one, nine and two start the season through their first 12 games, there were times where I'd be sitting watching the games with my buddies and we'd look at each other and be like, they could at least be fun. Like they're losing four to one, like three, nothing. It's like whole, like 20 shots on gold, no high danger chances produced at all. It's like, Oh my gosh, they could at least be fun. Like if we're one nine and two, but we're a top 15 offense, you know, that that's at least something to hold your hat on. But man, that start for the Blackhawks was about as brutal as it possibly could have been. I mean, yeah, no, no, uh, yeah. I was going to ask you about that actually, because I kind of, I watched a handful of the games just to kind of check in on, on Seth Jones, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, like love of my life. Uh, just he's perfect. And I saw there was a lot of talk, obviously, this offseason about have the Blackhawks accidentally, you know, put a cup contending squad together. And um, I watched the, I think it was the, the, I don't think it was the home opener for the Blackhawks. I think it was their, their season opener against Colorado, where that, that first opening goal was the uh the the Jack Johnson breakaway the breakaway goal, from Jack Johnson which like, just like again as as a Blue Jackets person as a person that loves Jack Johnson but understands he's bad at hockey like I'm sorry that it had to happen against you guys and Marc-Andre Fleury specifically but man I that was that's still my favorite goal that's been scored all season um and uh, that kind of feels like it had been a like a warning of this is what the season is going to be for the the Blackhawks. So if you could talk a little bit about like that one, nine and two start, then honestly, I probably should have saw it coming after the way Jack Johnson won backhand (laughs) backhand roof over Mark Andre. I thought it was Eric Johnson at first is the thing. And I was like, Oh man, that sucks. And then I was like, wait, Jack Johnson, (laughs) Eric Johnson would have made a little more sense. Um, But, but yeah. Wow. That, that was a tough way to start the season. Honestly, so much has happened since that. I completely forgot about Jack Johnson skating one in on a breakaway. I will never forget. Um, but I mean, oh, I don't even know where to begin with, with the one, nine and two start. It, it was just frustrating because obviously as the wins are or the, the wins, I wish the wins were piling up as the losses were piling up. You would figure that the sense of urgency, you know, to get it going here before you put yourself in a hole to start off the season. 
you would have assumed that the urgency would have increased, but it seemed to kind of only be the opposite. And what really I think led to Jeremy Carlton's departure after that 12th game was um, his last game as the Blackhawks head coach against the Winnipeg Jets. We're one, eight and two. We just got our first one a couple nights earlier. It's time to start heading things in this right direction. Whether or not you win the game, at least put together a consistent effort, head in the right direction. Give your give yourself something to be hopeful for. And in the first two minutes of that game up in Winnipeg, the Blackhawks allowed two goals. They got down a, a, in a big hole early. And it was just clear, I think, at that point that the team was not hearing and reciprocating Jeremy Colleton's message that he was, you know, uh, saying in the locker room and everything. And I just think also in the three years that he had been there with the style that he brought in, it never really worked. There was never really any progression, especially on the defensive side of things. The Blackhawks finished dead last in high danger chances allowed in all three years. Jeremy Calton was there. We never saw any progression on the defensive side of things. And for the offense to be struggling that much after all the moves that they made for the offense to be struggling that much out of the gate, they really left the Blackhawks in their new front office with no choice, I think, but to, you know, call it quits on Jeremy Colleton before this hole gets even deeper, you know, that they really didn't have an option, I think, because the offense was bad. The defense was bad. There was no fight from this team. They're getting blown out when we know with all the moves that they made, they should have been competitive. So it was just a, about as frustrating a first month of the season as you could describe. I mean, it took eight games to grab the lead. The Blackhawks set the longest record in NHL history to open up a season without a lead. Like, this thing just kind of wrote itself, as well as, obviously, the lawsuit stuff that was going on. It was just a very, very tough time to be covering this Blackhawks team. And there were times where I was like, I don't even want to go to this game. Like, <laughs> on the ice, it's bad. Off the ice, it's even worse. What It, it was just... The first time in my fandom where I was like, this is straight up terrible everywhere. Like, I, I don't even want to be part of this team. So that's how bad it got early on in the season, Jay. Fortunately, things have changed over a little bit under Derek King. But um, that first month, October, was like, I, I think I probably had two or three coffees a day because things just <laughs> kept going wrong. Like, things just kept going wrong. It, it was crazy, honestly. Um, but I, I, I'm happy to see that um, this team has finally woken up a little bit uh, with once a coaching change had been made. Yeah, and I, I do wonder how much of it was, because I, I think, and this is something I've kind of been thinking about a little bit with the departure of Florella, the introduction of Larson, is sometimes team like coaches aren't bad coaches, they're just bad for that team. And I wonder how much of that is the... Jeremy Collison, who inherited a, he inherited a tough job, I think, you know, he was coming immediately after Joel Quenville, which, you know, say what you want about him off the ice, on the ice, you know, I, whether he was a good coach or not, or whether he just inherited this, you know, masterpiece of a team that, that they had the, the Stanley Cup run with, coming after Joel Quenville was always going to be a disappointment. You know, it's like, okay, this is the, is he, he's like the winningest coach of all time. Right. Just about, or I think he was in second, second. place. He's second. Yeah. He was going to, he was going to break it. Yeah. And and then you, you bring in this kid who I believe at the time you still had Brent Seabrook on the team who was older than Jeremy Collison. You know, you bring in, he's, he was 
what, 34 or something, 35 yep. when he took over the team. So he's still, you know, younger than some of the team. And I think it was, it was always going to be a tough job for him to, to step into Joel Quenville's shoes. I'd like to see him back in the NHL at some point. I think he does have more to give, but I do think that this was not necessarily the, the roster makeup that would really benefit from, from a te- from a, a coach like him, uh, which I a hundred percent agree. I and I also think that that he he. I always hate it when people are like, "Oh, the coach has lost the room." But I think a lot about him handing the the whiteboard over in one of his last games and thinking, "Ah, okay, he knows they're not going." Uh, and, and obviously, there could have been a benign reason for this. That one of the players could have been like, "Hey, I've got an idea. Can I draw it up?" You know. But I do feel it looks it looks like he knows the team isn't going to listen to him, so he's given up a little bit. But it looks like the team is. Sorry. It looks like the team is responding really well to Derek King. They kind yeah. of what, like what were they five and zero in his first five games. We haven't played hockey in so long; I can't even remember things. Anymore. Yeah, <laughs> but they went on a pretty good run there. <laughs> yeah, but no, I completely agree with everything you just said. Um, and it's funny because literally every time I do a crossover with any other lockdown host, everyone brings up that whiteboard moment where Jeremy <laughs> Carlton handed it to the players because everyone's like, "I've never seen that before." And you also, I think, brought up a good point that it very well could have been benign as well. Like even players talked about it after saying like, you know, that's not maybe the most uncommon thing, whereas, you know, people don't see it a lot, uh, happen a lot on the bench or anything. Um, Obviously, it was a little odd, but who who knows really what went on there? Was it the player's idea? Was it Carlton's idea? What happened there? No one really knows. I'm sure I've seen that happened before and it wasn't like with other coach I can't think I want to say Patrice Bergeron did it with the Bruins where and I'm sure I've seen him drawing up plays and stuff so it's not like it's the first time that it's ever happened but I think it was just a combination of the Blackhawks being terrible Carlton clearly basically out the door uh you know that people have been paying a lot of attention to the Blackhawks so I think it was just a combination of oh let's let's jump on this and let's make fun of this because it is kind of funny, you know? Definitely, definitely. And I, I also want, yeah, I think you brought up a good point too by saying, you know, this didn't necessarily mean Jeremy Calton was a bad coach. There was, I mean, Twitter is a beast of its own, as you know, but there was so much Jeremy Calton slander on Twitter. And it was like, I, I just honestly never thought he was the right guy for that job. I mean, as you said, coming after Joel Quenville is pretty big shoes to fill. And this was a guy who had only coached for a couple of years over in Sweden. He didn't have any prior NHL experience. He'd only coached the Rockford Ice Hogs for one season. I just think he was a little in over his head by being put as the head coach, of the Chicago Blackhawks after Joel Quenville so early into his coaching career. I honestly don't know if Jeremy Colleton really ever had a chance there. And I mean, each season was kind of a new theme for him, right? One year's a rebuild. The next year we put together a pretty good off season. The year before that, he didn't get a training camp. So we're just kind of going with the flow. It, it was just never really, I think the correct situation, even for Jeremy Colleton to have success in uh, altogether, it was just not a good position for him to be in. And unfortunately, you know, he's the one that's going to go down with the blame for it, especially now because uh, the Blackhawks are responding a little bit better under Derek King. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean that Jeremy Calton was a bad coach. It just means that Derek King's message and his relaxed method is working right now. After the team had such a rough start, you know, 
Derek King's come in and been a breath of fresh air. He's been very free. He's a former NHL player himself, a, a veteran who, who's won in this league and knows what it takes. He's been around players um, at the AHL level, the NHL level. Now he has a lot of experience of, you know, the mentality around the game of hockey and immediately when Derek King came in, he, he talked with the team and said, look, you know, we're just going to go out there. I'm going to let you be a little bit more relaxed. Jeremy Carlton was a little bit more structured and really into his system. And, and I think that kind of affected the players eventually. And Derek King just kind of let them go out there and do their thing and play to their skill, play to their knowledge, react on the fly. And so far that's been working out for the Blackhawks. Is that something that can work, you know, over the course of a season? And is he the coach for the long term going forward? That I don't know. But it's definitely clear that having more having a veteran leader who who kind of, I think, just knows the NHL game a little bit better has definitely impacted this Blackhawks team. And um, I'm really hoping that, you know, um, they'll be able to pick up in, in some more areas and be able to string together some more wins. The, the biggest thing with Derek King is we've been competitive. Night in and night out, we're playing close games. Yeah, we still lose some of those, but we're fighting. We're right there. We're giving ourselves chances to win. Early on in the season under Jeremy Calton. We're losing four to one. We're getting blown out. The defense looks atrocious. Mark Andre Fleury wasn't given a chance to survive in that. His numbers look awful. He's probably kicking himself that he moved his family to Chicago. So it's been a nice turnaround. And I think it all just kind of goes back to Derek King inserting a, a mindset of, of relaxation and just playing on your reflexes on the fly rather than having a structure and being so focused on that. Yeah, sure. I want to talk about Flurry uh, specifically, actually, because I I feel like the the again he had an awful awful start to the season. He was allowing five six goals a game. Uh, I remember he got pulled against the Penguins after like eight minutes or something. Like it was just brutal. And then I remember I caught his stats in a one of the more recent games, and he has like a nine fourteen save percentage, which I think just speaks to how how good he's been in the last kind of month or so to go from having a, like a seven, seven, something all the way up to a, like a nine fourteen is basically league average. So has, has flurry been the, the difference maker that he, he needs to be for you? Do you think there, there certainly is an argument that Mark Andre flurry has been the MVP of this Blackhawks team under Derek King. I think you can honestly go either way with him or Seth Jones. Someone we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but when you get good goaltending in this league, I mean, you have a chance night in and night out. And, and yeah, early on in the year, I mean, Flower had a goals against average. It's in the fours. He's got a save percentage of like 850. And it's like, oh my God, this poor guy probably looks at his numbers and just wants to throw <laughs> he up. Because he's he, thinking he should have retired when he right. had a like he just won the Vesna trophy last year and here he is getting lit up like a Christmas tree in the first couple of games of the season. And yeah, that one against Pittsburgh, I really felt bad for him eight minutes in and the Blackhawks defense has given him no help. He gets pulled in his return home and it's like, come on, you know, like uh, it was so frustrating and you just felt for him, you know, that he, he was clearly frustrated with not only himself, he always expects the world out of himself and thinks he can make every save, but he was clearly frustrated with the performance in front of him as well. And it's kind of interesting to me that um, whether it be coincidental or not, that ever since Derek King has taken over, Marc-Andre Fleury's really stepped up his game. Uh, I believe he's only allowed more than three goals once in 12 or 13 starts under Derek King. It's hard to remember now again, because the Blackhawks haven't played in almost two full weeks. 
Uh, but he's been in, incredible. And as I mentioned, when you get that high level goaltending, when you get Vesna caliber goaltending night in and night out, like Flurry's flashed under Derek King so far, that's arguably been the main reason why they've been able to rattle off uh, of some more wins here under King than they were under Colleton because he's been spectacular. And, and even some games where he loses and the Blackhawks that lose the game, um, he's the main reason why they've been able to be close in those. So I give a lot of credit to Flurry for bouncing back here. And um, if he keeps playing like that, you know, the Blackhawks may not be out of the, the playoff picture um, if, you know, he's able to stay on his A game. Yeah, I mean, show me a good goalie, I'll show you a good coach is, you know, or the other way around. Show me a good coach, I'll show you a good goalie is kind of yes. how it goes, isn't it? Um, so that's, it'll be interesting to see if he can, can continue that or if it's kind of just a little a little flash in the pan. Uh, someone else I want to talk about who is not necessarily a star on the team. Uh, I want to talk about Dylan Strome because we talked about him in the offseason when we were throwing around some trades, trade ideas for uh, Seth Jones. And, you know, obviously Colleton just didn't seem to, like he'd written him off, I think, and he wasn't getting played. He seems to be getting a little more ice time under Derek King, but is he someone that you think is, do you, do you see him on the team in the future? Do you see him being traded? What do you think, what do you think happens with uh, Dylan Strom? Gosh, it's so tough. I personally... I just want to see Dylan Strome be left alone before they make a final decision. Go let him play second line minutes, not for four or five games, right? Go give him that for the majority of the season. He's not a bottom six player that can play with scrappers and grinders. He needs offensive minded guys around him. He's always been one of those type of players and it's become more apparent as he's starting to get a little bit older. I just want, I, I want to know what kind of player he is, because I think until we give him that full-time role, we're not really going to be sure because we've seen flashes. We know he can play with Alex to that first season where he got uh, traded, uh, where he got acquired by Chicago from the coyotes. He was nearly a point per game cl- point per game player. Uh, he was on the top power play unit and thriving there. And under Jeremy Colleton, after that first year, he never really got the same opportunities. If it was, it would be for a game or two. It was never consistent. Under King, Dylan Strom has finally gotten some more offensive opportunities. King has still scratched him once or twice, I believe, um, which I, I don't agree with. But if they don't want to use him in a bottom six spot, or if they're going to use him in a bottom six spot, they'd rather scratch him. That's kind of their mindset with Dylan Strom right now, which I don't know if I necessarily agree with, but I understand where they're going because if you're going to put him on the fourth line with grinders, he's not, he's not going to do well there. So you might as well not even play him, but I just want to see him left alone in that second line spot. Let him, let him play with guys who have the same mindset, who have the same style. And I think that's really what's going to tell us the final answer, whether or not Dylan Strom is a part of this Blackhawks team for the future. There's been trade talks surrounding him for, it seems like two years now, nothing has happened as of yet, of course, but uh, I also wouldn't be surprised to see him on the move at, at any point in time. Um, I, I think it's actually, I, I want, I'm curious to see if the mentality of Strom has changed now that Stan Bowman is out of the picture as well as Jeremy Colleton. I, I don't know if Kyle Davidson's going to be as aggressive to move Strom as um, Stan Bowman was, but it's going to be an interesting situation for sure. I, I personally would rather just 
let Strom be on that second line. And then we're going to find out one way or the other, if he's part of the future, whether he uh, has success there or whether he struggles, that's kind of, I think the, the telltale sign of whether or not he could be a, a core piece of this Blackhawks team going forward. Yeah, I know we've we've kind of joked. I, I well, I say we. I joked a little bit about it in this uh, when the rumors to first started going of oh hey, it sure would be nice if we could fleece Stan Bowman one more time before he goes, but uh, doesn't appear to to be the case. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this new front office does because I do think, and again, we talked about this a little bit at the start of the season when the Blackhawks were losing a lot. How much of this is because Jeremy Colleton can't coach this team, and how much of it is because he's been given a team that is not very good, you know? And I think there was a lot of parts on this team that should be good, you know? Seth Jones, for all his faults, has had a really strong start to the season. He's, you know, racking up assists and power play points like nobody's business. Uh, I haven't had a look at his underlying stats, um, but, you know, for, for, for what you what you want Seth Jones to do, he's kind of doing exactly what's, what's advertised at the minute. Obviously, Flurry that disastrous start to the season, uh, but he's a really good, play, really good player. He's only here for a season. You know, you might as well take as much advantage of him as you can get, but, and then up, up front, you've got obviously Kane to bring her two bona fide stars, Jonathan Taves, who obviously is one of the greatest black Hawks of all time, but looks like he's still trying to find his way back after missing all of last season. You know, it, it felt like, Stan Bowman had, but like, and beyond those players, I mean, you've got Kirby Dark, who is, uh, by his own account, struggling to find consistency in this league. Um, beyond that, you don't have a lot that I would consider, uh, like a, a key piece. You know, maybe Connor Murphy, maybe uh, Brandon Hagel, uh, or Domin- uh, like Kubalik. You know, you've got a handful of guys that are kind of that that tweener between star and NHL stage. I will be interested to see how this new front office does this off season when they have player personnel decisions to make for contracts, for trades, things like that. Cause I do feel like Collison was handed a, a team that was not as well built as I think a lot of people wanted to, to think. All right, folks, I think that will wrap up Wednesday, December 29th episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show, and be sure to go and follow the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app, and you can get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, be sure to go and check out the Lockdown Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. You can get daily picks blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and even Lee Sterling's lock of the day by just simply following the Lockdown Bets podcast. It's free and available on all platforms, so be sure to go and check out Lockdown Bets right now wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you for tuning into today's episode. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you can also check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talkin' Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And for any questions at all regarding anything related to the show, feel free to email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. You can also hit me on any one of my Twitter accounts, or you can call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow's episode, thanks again for listening to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team 
every day.